Welcome to the Two Journeys podcast. This is part two of episode 41 in the book of John entitled, It Is Finished, where we discuss John chapter 19, verses 28 through 42. I'm Wes Treadway and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses today? Well, this is the account of the death of Jesus and the incredible significance of the death, the fulfillment of the very thing that God had said to Adam uh, that the wages of sin is death. He said, if you eat from that tree, you will surely die. And so the link between sin and death was, has been made from the beginning of redemptive history. And now here, Jesus is paying the death penalty for the sins of all his people. And it's just an amazing account, the way that John writes it in such a way, John writes this account in such a way to produce the faith in the death and the resurrection of Jesus that's necessary for the salvation of our souls. And so it's just a marvelous account of the death of Jesus. So we're gonna walk through that today. Well, so that we have a sense of where we are in chapter 19, I'm gonna read from verse 28 to the end of the chapter. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Why was Pilate surprised? And we've kind of talked yeah, about this a little yeah, bit, yeah. but why was he surprised that Jesus was already dead? Well, um, if you think about crucifixion, it really is designed to be a slow death. I mean, it's not like a, well, like what happened to Jesus with a lance in the heart. I mean, that just does it, it's mm -hmm. over, all right? But this was wounds in the hands and feet. Well, how long does it take for wounds in the hands and feet? Now you could argue that if they hit an artery in the wrist, and some people say he was not crucified in his, in his hands, but in his wrists, because the hands just aren't strong enough to hold the whole body up, and that may well be. But still, um, the idea is, in general, they don't want them dying quickly. Hmm. They want them screaming in agony for a long time. As a warning, you don't want to be crucified. It's a horrible death. And so that's why Pilate was surprised. I mean, he's a veteran crucifier. Yeah. And so this is highly unusual for him to die so soon. Yeah. And that's been a helpful detail that you've pointed out as well, is that yeah. this was, these were not novice 
killers in that sense. This was something that they had perfected oh, yeah. this art of torturing right. so we're, and killing those who were guilty. Yeah, we could talk about this, and I won't go into details, but the swoon theory that Jesus didn't really die, we'll get to all that in a minute with, mm. the, with the blood and water coming out of the side, but yeah, Jesus was dead, no doubt about it. Yeah. But, you know, here's the thing. Jesus was, maybe some people estimate three hours on the cross from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. That's, you know, from noon to three. Mm. Um, you know, just... Jesus was on the cross a good long while, long enough to suffer, but probably of all those that had ever been crucified, we'd have to think he was very much on the low end. So we need to understand there's an infinite dimension to Jesus' death. It's infinitely valuable. There was an infinite level of suffering in that the Father turned away from him and poured wrath on him. But in terms of the chronology, he suffered chronologically less than most people who died on the cross. So it was a short time. So we should not think there would have been even more atonement if he'd been there for another hour. That just isn't true. Hmm. So let's talk, you mentioned a moment ago, the flow of blood and water. Mm -hmm. Why does John spend so much time in verse 34 and 35 describing that piercing that you mentioned, the flow of blood and water, and the fact of his own status as an eyewitness? Okay, so uh, the, fl the flow of blood and water seems to be, and again, I'm not a doctor, but uh, seems to be like the, the, the myocardial sac has some fluids around it. And, um, and so the piercing of the, of the heart just, I think we're just going to say literally, simply, no doubt about it proves that Jesus was dead. Mm -hmm. So Jesus didn't have to just be willing to die. Or like Abraham with Isaac, I, he clearly was willing to sacrifice his son, but he was stopped from doing so. Mm. No, no, no. Jesus had to die. Yeah. Actually die. And so the, the lance going up into his heart and pulled out and the flow of blood and water that flows from him proves he was literally, clinically, physically dead. Hmm. So what's the Old Testament context of John's next quote? Um, and why does John cite it here? Has it been completely fulfilled? Yeah. Um, so, all right. So let's talk first about the, the breaking of the bones. All right. That was a scripture that was fulfilled. Um, not a single bone will be broken. And, they, and this is, again, relating to the Passover lamb. Jesus is the Passover lamb, so you can't break the bones. Hmm. Now, again, you could say, why would God tell Moses to tell the Jews to not break any bones? What difference does it make if bones are broken? It doesn't change anything. Yeah. Well, this is, it's just, it's like an address, like a, like an address of a friend. They live in such and such a country. Well, that's not enough. They live in a city. That's still not enough. They live on a street. That's not enough. They live on a house in the street. That's not enough. There's 17 apartments in that. All right. It's 17 C, you know, main street, blah. You need all of those things to get where you're going. So God has triangulated on Jesus mm -hmm. and especially on his death and resurrection. So when he way, way, way back when, 15 centuries before Jesus, told Moses to tell the Jews to not break any bones. It was so that it could be fulfilled on the cross. Hmm. It was a detail, that's all. And so in this case, it's very practical. They're going around with this big mallet, I guess, and they're gonna smash the thigh bones of the, of the men on the cross so they can't push up and get air. So it's really hideous final moments for the, the two thieves that died. One of the thieves saved just in time. Hmm. Um, but for Jesus, they came to him and said, we don't need to smash his bones. Now, they could have gone ahead and done it anyway, just to be sure. But they were sure another way with the lance. Isn't it amazing how everything's amazing. orchestrated? Yeah. So not a single bone will be broken. Now that was fulfilled. But another says they will look on the one they have pierced. Now, John is zeroing in on the lance piercing the side of Jesus. 
Now, Jesus was already pierced in his hands and feet, but this is additional piercing. Now, some people make much of the uh, another scripture, says, and does not use the word fulfilled. And says, uh, they will look on the one they have pierced. And the they, uh, for those that say this has not been fulfilled yet, refers to the Jewish nation as a whole. Mm. And that comes from Zechariah, and there's a sense in which they will mourn for him as for an only son. There is a, a national turning away from unbelief to believing in Jesus. And so the look is like in Isaiah, look on me and be saved all the ends of the earth. It's a look of faith, hmm. like the bronze serpent. So they, being the Jewish nation, will formally and finally look on the one they pierced and they will find salvation, but it's not been fulfilled yet. Hmm. And we believe it, it's fulfilled right before the second coming of Christ. Yeah. Andy, as we talk about all these details, just a question that comes to my mind is, <laughs> You know, you talk about the triangulation, and if I have a friend's address and I get there and I see my friend standing on the porch and yeah. I see the address on the door and I've parked the car, like, I'm pretty confident I'm in the right place. Yes. How do they keep missing with all the detail and all the scriptures that are fulfilled? It's just an amazing mm -hmm. thought. And not to think more highly of myself, that even right. in that situation that I may have missed that as well, were it not for the grace right. of God. But It's a preponderance of evidence. Yeah. And I think we see it in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, on the testimony of two or three witnesses, so I'll give you 500. That's God. 500 witnesses. Is yeah. that enough? And so it's not one or two prophecies here. It's hundreds of prophecies, yeah. details, and all kinds of things. Abraham, mm -hmm. Isaac, and Jacob, you know, and Bethlehem, and the virgin birth, and all of this. Like, how much do you need? But John covered this in, in John chapter 12. Even after Jesus had done all these miracles, they still did not believe. And why? Because God is hardening their hearts. And why? Because Romans 11 says God has bound all people over to disobedience in order that he may have mercy on them all. To the Jew first, then to the Gentile, that's what he says. And so everyone gets to heaven having received the grace and mercy of God. Everybody gets bound over to sin. So we all realize, Jews and Gentiles alike, we needed a Savior. Mm. So as we move now to the burial of Jesus, mm -hmm. who is Joseph of Arimathea and what does John tell us about him? Well, we, we learn, like Nicodemus, that Joseph was a secret disciple of Jesus. And so Joseph and Nicodemus together show up. And uh, Joseph is um, uh, the one uh, who has, has the tomb. He's a wealthy man, etc. So the two of them together are wealthy people. And so the burial of Jesus, again, is just more of that triangulation, more of that data. Um, first of all, his burial place and his manner is important because it will prove the resurrection in the next chapter, the empty tomb. There has to be a tomb. Uh, if they just threw him in a commoner's grave along with a bunch of other people, the only way you could prove he had risen from the dead is to line up all the corpses and say the one that, I don't even know how you would do it. You need a specific tomb, and that's mm. a rich man's provenance. But also, it... Um, uh, fulfills the prophecy in Isaiah 53 where it says in Isaiah 53 9 he was assigned a grave with the wicked uh, but with was with the rich in his death hmm. so grave rich death those are details like the word pierce the word pierce is an unusual verb hmm. it's a penetration of a, of a thin wall or membrane with a sharp instrument Okay, it's different than drilling or whatever. It's you've gone all the way through to the other side. That's mm -hmm. what pierce means. 
So with this, the word rich and grave, a rich man's grave, and along comes a rich man to provide a grave. Wow. So it's really quite remarkable. What's also amazing is that Joseph and Nicodemus find their courage and their faith at the absolute worst possible moment to believe in Jesus. He's dead, not risen. Mm. He's been officially branded a criminal and executed for his crimes by the Jews and the Romans together. Now we're going to get our courage and go to Pilate and ask for the body. Where did that courage come from? But we know where it came from. The Holy Spirit of God moved them. They could not say no. And suddenly they are willing to stand up and be counted as disciples of Jesus asking mm. for the body. It's quite amazing. It really is. So after we're introduced to these two men, we're also told a little bit about what takes place. Mm -hmm. What's the significance of the quantity of myrrh and aloes that they brought for Jesus? Well, it just again points to wealth. Um, if it says here that they took, uh, that Nicodemus, wealthy man, brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Um, so 100 litri, or you know, just a, a huge, huge amount. And again, um, you know, myrrh, as far as I remember from the birth of Jesus, you know, when the Magi brought a gift mm. of, of gold, incense, and myrrh, myrrh is scraped from some rare dis, uh, pine tree, coniferous pine, like a pine tree somewhere, hmm. uh, you know, very remote from Palestine and brought over great distances, an aromatic resin, and it's extremely expensive. And so it reminds me of Mary taking a year's worth of wages and pouring them all over Jesus. And so this is a lavish outpouring of mm -hmm. love and cost on the dead body of Jesus. But also it's significant because it's going to help prove the resurrection. These strips of linen wrapped up with this sticky resinous substance would be very difficult to get off a corpse mm. cleanly, yeah. all right? And, and apparently they are just completely together in the shape of Jesus' body. I guess God willing, we'll talk about it next time, mm -hmm. proving the resurrection. So everything lines up as physical evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. So it also shows the love that Nicodemus had for Jesus. That he's willing to pour out such, such amazing cost on the dead body of Jesus. It's amazing that none of these details are wasted, right? That John mm -hmm. mentions the myrrh and the aloes and the strips of linen, all intentional yeah. as he continues to tell the story of Jesus' resurrection later on. Yeah. Finally, what does John tell us about the tomb? Why do you think it's important that mm -hmm. the tomb was nearby? Again, this idea of the day of preparation sure. and all that. Perhaps. Timing, got to yeah. get in the tomb. Mm -hmm. Uh, for a couple of reasons. One is to is to not break Jewish law so you don't have Jews working on the Sabbath, but also so that he could be three days and three nights. Hmm. And so there's a lot of controversy and a lot of discussion about, you know, when did it happen Thursday, on to Sunday? I mean, what, how does it work? But any part of a day or night is a day and a night. That's the way they saw it. And you get the three with the day of preparation, the day itself, and then the third day. Hmm. So Jesus had said on the third day, I'll rise. So he needs to get in there before sundown so he can get that third day. Yeah. And all of this setting the stage for what, Lord willing, right. we'll see in the next chapter. So that's the timing. The location, it's nearby also so they could identify the tomb. They didn't sure. go to the wrong tomb. Hmm. The wrong tomb is empty. What does that prove? It's that specific tomb. And the soldiers knew where it was. They were guarding it. So everybody knew the place. That's mm. where it was. So, mm. yeah. Well, Andy, any final thoughts on this passage as we wrap up chapter 19? Yeah, just again going to the book of Hebrews and say, you know, my... My surety has been paid. My mediator has died. Uh, 
Uh, the blood that was shed is sufficient for my sin. Uh, it is finished. The atoning work is done. And secondly, uh, like the hyssop plant, the Holy Spirit has applied the blood to my soul through my own repentance and faith. I have been regenerated. I have been made new. My sins are forgiven. All of them, past, present, and future. That what is what's wrapped up in the uh, account that we read today. Mm. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, this has been part two of episode 41 in the book of John. We would invite you to join us next time for episode 42 entitled Resurrection Morning, where we'll discuss John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.